Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to be talking about the future of leadership, skills, and mindsets to succeed in the next generation. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. With me on the show today is Jacob Morgan. Jacob is a four-time best-selling author, keynote speaker, and futurist who explores leadership, employee experience, and the future of work. So why are so many leaders around the world struggling, aside from the obvious COVID? I think there are a few reasons why a lot of leaders are struggling. And by the way, you should give a context around it that they are struggling. Because if you look at a lot of the research and data that's out there, it clearly shows that a lot of employees are disengaged in their jobs. A lot of employees think that they can do a better job than their manager. What I found is that a lot of the employees inside of organizations don't even think their managers and senior executives are doing a pretty good job of practicing the skills and mindsets that we're going to talk about. So as far as why that's the case, I think there are a few reasons. One, it's not something that we teach. If you go get an MBA, you know, you go study business management or economics at a school, you're not really taught about some of the things that we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Um, second, I think we don't always encourage these things to be practiced inside of organizations. And third, I think a lot of leadership development programs are failing leaders. Uh, one of the things that I found in my research is that on average, you might become a leader at some point in your maybe mid-20s. But you don't actually get leadership training on average until you're in your late 30s, early 40s. So there's a period of around 15, maybe even 20 years where you're leading other people and you were never trained how to lead them. So there are a lot of issues out there when we think about leadership development and training in general that I think we can do a much better job of. I think it's a really important point, the idea that MBA programs, and I've been teaching in MBA programs for a couple of decades, so not uh, diminishing how important they are. But leadership isn't a key focus for many of them. They teach a lot of other skills. Organizations, cultures, and systems haven't yet evolved to align with what I think you're going to tell us are the leadership qualities required to be effective. Yeah, I mean, I think you, and again, you as somebody who teaches uh, MBA programs, you know this firsthand, right? I mean, we teach a lot of uh, probably accounting, thinking strategically. Uh, we, we think a lot about competitor analysis. We think a lot about, uh, we teach a lot about how to, uh, you know, maybe make tough decisions. You know, things of that nature that are really, I think, very much focused on the dollars and cents of a business. And not that those things are not important, they are. But when that's the primary focus of what we teach, people are willing to put the dollars and cents, even, it's, uh, even if it's at the expense of their people. And then what starts to happen is you get in times like this, for example, COVID or any other tough time or tragedy, and all of a sudden, the training kicks into gear for a lot of the people that have gone through these MBA programs and a lot of these leaders out there. And the first thing that they say is, well, uh, it's tough. You know, it's a crisis. The first thing we need to do is cut costs. And the way that we're going to cut costs is to let go of people because that's what we're trained is how do we preserve the business, uh, cut costs, and, you know, people are the best way to do that. I should point out, and again, feel free to cut me off if I'm rambling too much, but I talked to a couple CEOs over the years and they shared some fascinating stories with me. One of them was Hubert Jolie, the CEO of Best Buy. He's one of the CEOs that, I don't know where he got his leadership training, but it definitely wasn't from a you know, purely conventional MBA program. But when he took over the CEO role from Best Buy, everybody thought he was nuts. 
And he was telling me when we spoke that friends, family members, everyone was saying, what are you doing? This is going to kill your career. You're not going to save the company. Like, what? Do, why are you doing this? With your, you know, there's so many other things you could be doing. And uh, so he took this job as CEO. And one of the things he did was not to cut costs by firing people, but to investing more, uh, to invest more in his people. In other words, he told me that a lot of leaders out there, they view cutting people as a solution to their problem. But Hubert viewed investing in his people as a solution to his problem, unlocking their creativity, their talent, their potential. And so you do get some CEOs out there like this who really believe in putting people first. But I'd say the norm is to put the dollars and cents above the people. And the crazy thing is that they're not mutually exclusive. By investing in your people, you can and you ultimately will increase the dollars and cents. I think that's a really important point. And often we teach executives that it is the money that makes you more successful. And while the money is certainly the fuel for the machine, people being engaged, especially in organizations that are driven by talent, engaged people produce better results. And people who aren't afraid all the time are going to be more engaged and afraid by either a, a culture of no tolerance or a culture of no mistakes. Neither one of those are good situations to be in where <laughs> you feel like every mistake that you make, you're going to get scrutinized and uh, you know punished for. Even this week, I've been talking to a couple of CEOs and um, they were all telling me stories of these like horrendous mistakes that they've made that you know, cost millions and millions of dollars, in some cases, even more than that. And they're still CEOs. They, they're, they're still leaders. Nobody's kicking them out of the company. So we definitely need to get over that mentality of a mistake is bad and uh, you should be punished for it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there were certain things you don't do and those would be on the ethical side. Yeah. Especially in a time like this where we have such uncertainty, doing nothing isn't an option. So depending on how you define mistakes, every leader who is going forward proactively is going to be, again, de depending on how you define it, directionally correct mostly, but certainly not hitting a bullseye. Yeah. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, and kind of ties to this point, but a little tangential, the other thing that I think leaders are have been traditionally scared of is to, to take a stance on certain issues, uh, to let people know what they believe in, what they're willing to fight for, who they are. Because throughout history, leaders have constantly wanted to maintain a neutral presence that try to make everybody happy. You know, I, I don't want to say that I believe in this or that I support this because maybe some customers will be upset. Maybe some employees will be unhappy. And what we're starting to see now in today's current climate is that as a leader, you should not be scared that other people will disagree with you. You should be scared that other people don't know what you stand for to begin with. And this, I think, is a shift in the leader's mentality, um, because now more than ever as a leader, employees, customers, everybody wants to know what you stand for. What do you believe in? Who are you as a human being? What are the causes that you're going to be fighting for? And kind of just playing in the gray area and saying you're going to be neutral is, um, is I think, actually a huge detriment. So don't be scared that people will disagree with you. Be scared that people don't know what you stand for to begin with. I think that's a brilliant point. And on that topic, now let's go to how is COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, and some of the other changes we're seeing changed leadership since your book came out or changed how leaders should act? Sure. So the, the book originally, I mean, it was 
is called The Future Leader. And originally, when I wrote the book, my goal was to look at um, what is it going to take to be a leader over the next 10 years? So I was kind of looking at around the year 2030 and thinking, how are things changing now? And what does that mean for how we should um, be developing ourselves to be prepared for the next 10 years? And the book, interestingly, came out right before COVID really, um, you know, got as mainstream as it did. It came out right before Black Lives Matter. And after all these things started to happen, really the the big learning for me was that the timeline has shrunk. In other words, the future leader is now the present leader. And so all the concepts, all the ideas, all the stories, all the research about what you need to do to prepare for the future is now very much about what you need to do to be successful as a leader in the present. And that was, I think, one of the um, one of the big things that I've learned is that the timeline for practicing the skills and mindsets has dramatically shrunk. Okay, so let's talk about then what are some of the trends and what are those future mindsets and behaviors? Sure. Um, so, and did we ever go over the, um, I can't remember if I finished going over all the challenges, but I can, let me let me go over the, the high-level challenges first, um, which I grouped into two buckets. And I won't okay. go over all of them, but... Uh, the the two kind of broad buckets for challenges were really around how to futurize and humanize. Futurize is about how do you prepare your organization, yourself, and your people for the future. And humanize is exactly what it sounds like in terms of how do you keep your organization human. And so I'll give you one example of each, and then you know people want more. It's pretty easy to find if they Google it. Uh, so example of a futurized challenge, how do you keep your organization ready for the future? Um, one of those challenges is how do you move away from the status quo? Traditional ways of thinking, doing, acting, being, a challenge convention and think differently. You know, that's a very, very important challenge to overcome if you want to think about and thrive in the future. Uh, one of the humanized challenges, for example, and again, this is about making your organization human, is about leading diverse teams. So diversity inclusion is a huge topic for organizations right now. So how do you lead people who are not like you? who don't believe in the same things that you believe in, who don't look like you, act like you, et cetera. Uh, again, that's a huge challenge. So th those are the two kind of buckets, humanize and futurize. And as far as trends go, this is uh, the question that I asked these 140 CEOs. I asked them about challenges and about trends that are shaping leadership, and they identified six of them. The first one was pace of change, basically just you know things are changing all the time. Purpose and meaning, which is, again, a lot of employees care about purpose, meaning doing something that's beyond themselves. And number three is the talent and new talent landscape, meaning that the way that we think about talent is different, just different demographics, values, perspectives. Of the, whole, the whole area of talent is, is changing. Uh, the next one was morality, ethics, and transparency, which we can talk more about if you want. And then we have globalization, and then uh, technology was was another one as well. And the thing is that when you don't take these things seriously, I think bad things can happen. And so I can share two stories of executives at multi-billion dollar companies that I interviewed probably, oh, two, two, maybe three years ago. And one of these executives was fired from her company because she didn't take these initiatives, uh, these trends seriously, and basically her employees rose up and they said, we don't want to work for you. So either either this leader goes or we go. 
And the company said, okay, well, the leader's got to go. She's not doing a good job. And a second one saw her entire business go bankrupt. So, you know, these are cautionary tales of what happens when you don't adapt, when you don't evolve, when you don't take things seriously. And I, I think that it's very, very important and also a huge opportunity for leaders out there. Great. Thank you for sharing those. Let's go on break and we will be right back with uh, Jacob Morgan. And we are talking about the future leader skills and mindsets to succeed in the next decade, which as Jacob has said, has shortened. And these are skills and mindsets that really we need right now. So Jacob, can you tell us a little bit more about what are the notable nine? Yeah, this is my favorite thing to talk about. And the notable nine are basically from all of these CEO interviews that I did. What I asked, two of the questions that I asked all these CEOs are based on how the world of work is changing. What mindsets do you think leaders need to possess in order to be successful now and in the future? Mindsets are basically how should leaders be thinking? And then I also asked all these CEOs, what are the skills that leaders need to possess in order to be successful now and in the future. And skills are things that you as a leader need to know how to do. And so what what came out of this from all these conversations was, as you mentioned, the notable nine, uh, four mindsets and five skills. And the way that I like to think about this is um, basically forget everything that you know, everything that you've been studying about leadership. If there are just four mindsets and five skills, nine things in total that you should focus on. This is what those things should be according to um, some of the world's top business leaders out there. And by the way, we didn't even mention, um, when I say 140 CEOs, these are CEOs from companies like Verizon, KPMG, Best Buy, Oracle, Unilever, MasterCard, uh, Audi. So we're talking about big global, massive, multi-billion dollar organizations out there. So do you want me to just go through each one of these uh, mindsets and skills? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for clarifying the size of the organization, because I think to a lot of our listeners, that is relevant. And at the end, if we have time, I'd be curious to hear if you think the mindsets and skills for large enterprises also map to smaller ones. But let's get to the notable nine first. And you're going to start with the four mindsets? Yep, definitely. Um, and, you know, not not every organization was as big as an Audi, but there were a lot of, I really tried to focus on the, the known brands that a lot of people would be familiar with. But again, you know, from 140, there are plenty of other smaller companies that have a few thousand or maybe even a couple hundred people. Uh, so the notable nine, let's start off with the mindsets. And I gave all these mindsets fun, fun names. Um, so the first one is the global citizen mindset. And the global citizen mindset is really about this idea that you have to, as a leader, think globally and embrace diversity. So the analogy that I can think of for thinking globally, and I play a lot of chess, and if you play chess, you'll appreciate this analogy, hopefully. The the big flaw that I think a lot of amateur players make is that in a game of chess, you only look at where the action's happening. So where are the pieces that could be attacking each other? And you really just focus on one that, on that part of the board. And when I take lessons with with uh, with my chess coach, he always says, "Jacob, look at all sixty four squares. Right? Look at look at the entire chessboard, not just on where the action's happening." And that's really what I think of when I think of um, thinking globally. 
Because a lot of us are very tempted to just focus on what's in our geography, what's in our team, what's my day-to-day, what's my project. In other words, we're only looking at the part of the chessboard where the action is happening, and we don't look at all 64 squares. We don't look at the broader aspect of the business. We don't look at how things work with each other. And that, I think, is a, is a big flaw that a lot of leaders uh, typically fall into. So that's first for global citizen, think big picture. The second is embrace diversity. And I would also even go a little further and say, don't just embrace it, but push for it. And this means that as a leader, you should want to be a part of people who are not, or want to be a part of teams of, of people who are not like you. People who don't think like you, act like you, behave like you, look like you, uh, they're just different than you. So that's what the global citizen mindset is all about. So Next. when you talk about diversity, you're talking yes. more than racial. You're talking diversity of thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the diversity uh, of thought, of, of backgrounds, cultures, behaviors, religions, genders. I mean, diversity. Okay. Because uh, the, the goal here, and then you bring up an interesting point, because diversity of thought is also important. Um, you don't just want physical diversity because even if you do have physical diversity, if everybody thinks the same, that's also not helpful. So you want people who think differently, who have different backgrounds, different perspectives, because this is how you're going to create products and services, identify opportunities, mitigate threats. When you get those different perspectives and points of view, not just when everybody is you know, just like you. Got it. The next mindset after that one is the mindset of the servant. And we hear a lot about this idea of servant leadership and servant leadership is a part of the mindset of the servant, but it's not the full picture. So the mindset of the servant means that first of all, you embrace humility and vulnerability. That's a crucial aspect, but it also means that you understand that there are four groups that you as a leader serve. You serve your leaders. If you have them, you serve your team. You serve your customers, and the big one that everybody always forgets is that as a leader, you have to serve yourself. Now, when I say serve yourself, I don't mean act in self-interest. I mean practice self-care, meaning that if you show up to work each day and you're burned out, stressed out, exhausted, unhappy, disengaged, it's going to be really hard for you to lead other people. So you got to do whatever you need to do to take care of yourself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, so that you can effectively lead others. Next, we have the mindset of the chef. The mindset of the chef, the the reason why I chose this analogy is because chefs always have to balance lots of ingredients when they're cooking. Uh, You want the dish to look good, taste good, yeah, you know, tons of ingredients go into a dish. But for a leader, there are just two ingredients that you need to balance inside of your company, humanity and technology. You need both. You need technology to make sure that your organization is efficient, productive, uh, it can scale, but you also need the human ingredient to make sure that you can attract and retain talent, better serve customers, come up with strategies, create better products and services. And that's a delicate balance that, that you need to master between both. Because if you skew too much toward one side or the other, again, to use the analogy, the dish is not going to look or taste good. And we've seen a lot of this happen. Elon Musk, the CEO of Tesla, he famously went all in on technology on his manufacturing floors. And what he realized is that he had so much technology. In an interview, he called it a um, a network hell of conveyor belts um, or, or something to that extent, where he had so much technology in there 
the customers were getting broken products. They were getting cars that had like missing parts on them. And so he had to skew back more towards the human side as well. So there's that delicate balance between using technology, but use technology in a way that helps people, that augments people, that unlocks their potential, that reduces the distance between yourself and customers, makes the organization more human. Don't just use technology for the sake of using technology. And the last mindset is the mindset of the explorer. And explorers um, have to embrace the unknown. They have to be open to new ideas, be able to change course quickly when they need to. The explorer mindset also means that you have a growth mindset. You view challenges as, as things that you need to overcome, not as obstacles that are permanently in your way. You're also agile and nimble in your thinking. So th this is a very, very crucial mindset for, for leaders to have. So that's the, the four mindsets, the global citizen, the servant, the chef, and the explorer. And if you want, I can jump right into the five skills too. Yeah, I'd like that because I want to have time to, in this segment, get through all of that and then uh, explore a little further. And also... At the end, I want to make sure that listeners have takeaways for things they can practically do. So let's jump into the skills next. Sure. So skills are different than mindsets because skills are things that you actually need to know how to do. Not how you should think, but how you should do. And the way that I like to analogize, again, you'll, I, I love analogies. The analogy for the mindset is this is like your boot up system. So whenever you turn on a piece of technology, it usually goes through like a couple seconds of booting up before you can actually access it. The mindsets, this is your, your operating system, how you should boot up every morning as a leader. And again, skills, things that you need to know how to do, starting off with the skill of the coach. The skill of the coach is about how do you help make other people more successful, but I want to give you two words to add to the end of that. How do you help make other people more successful than you? Because making somebody else more successful is pretty easy. Um, you could spend two minutes with somebody, teach them something, and all of a sudden they're more successful. It doesn't require a lot of time or effort or, uh, or energy. But to help make somebody else more successful than you, that requires a lot of time, energy, focus, devotion. Um, that, I think, is what great leaders do. So you help unlock the potential of other people and help make them more successful, even if they're more successful than you. Next is the skill of the futurist, which was interestingly enough, the number one skill that the CEOs identified as being most crucial for leaders of today and the future. And the skill of the futurist is really all about being able to look at different scenarios and possibilities and planning for each of them. And this is something a lot of leaders traditionally don't do because you are usually taught as a leader to pick a path and go down it. And uh, basically, you know, that's, that, that's where you're going and everybody's got to go down that path. And if something happens that's unexpected, then you're sort of like, oh, you know, what do we do? I didn't see that coming. That totally surprised me. And that's not really an effective way to lead. So the idea here is that you as a leader need to think in terms of, as I said, scenarios, possibilities, options, so that when one of those things do come up, that you're not going to be surprised. Um, so a lot of people think that futurists predict the future, but that's not what futurists do. Futurists simply help make sure that you are not surprised by what the future might bring. There's a difference. 
And how do you make sure you don't get surprised? Well, you start to, again, think in terms of these possibilities and scenarios, just like a chess player does when they're playing a game. You know, you, you look at different options, moves that your opponent might make, moves that you might make. You don't just say, yeah, this is the only move for me, the only move for them, options, scenarios. Next, we have the skill of the technology teenager. The technology teenager is really all about being tech savvy and digitally fluent. Today, every company is a technology company, which means every, um, every leader needs to be a technology-driven leader. Technology is not something that just happens in your IT department. Everybody needs to be aware of, um, of technology, especially now we're seeing this firsthand with, with COVID, right? Everyone's got to be their own IT teams at home, setting up your own, cam your own cameras, your mics, you have an issue with your Wi-Fi, you know, you got to figure it out. So be tech savvy, be digitally fluent. And the next one is the skill of the translator. And the translator is really all about listening and communication. And of course, these things have been around since the dawn of time, but these are also the two things that have changed the most. Because look at how many different platforms we're using for listening and for communication. We're so distracted. There's so many things around us all the time that these, uh, these things are actually very hard. Uh, you know, there's a quote that says, there's no greater form of love and respect that you can give somebody than by listening to them. And for communication, as a leader, you have so many different channels that you're using now. You need to know how to get your message across regardless of what that channel is. And the last skill, this is everyone's favorite. This is the skill of Yoda, which is about emotional intelligence, specifically empathy and self-awareness. Meaning, how do you, empathy is about how do you put yourself in somebody else's shoes and see their perspective? And self-awareness is really all about how well you know yourself and how well uh, do, or, or, and how does that align with how other people perceive you? Meaning like, do you know your strengths and your weaknesses and do those align with how other people view your strengths and weaknesses? Uh, so those are the, the five skills, which again are the coach, the futurist, the technology teenager, tra the translator, and uh, Yoda. And those are the notable nine. Great. And I really appreciate your going through that. We have a list of seven mindsets and competencies. So I'm kind of ticking mine off as I listen to yours and I'm pleased that they're fairly close. Uh, is there one that you think absolutely has to be in place for the others to work or is um, more foundational? I've realized all of them are critical. You know, that's a very, very common question I get. And it's really hard to say because for example, you might be really well-versed at practicing, for example, the mindset of the servant, or let's say the skill of the coach, but maybe you lack in those other areas. And as, as well as you are practicing that one mindset or that one skill, you're still not going to be able to reach your potential as a leader unless you master all of them. Uh, and as far as which one kind of influenced the other, I think they all kind of influence each other they all have a little impact on the other. And I think by mastering any one of these skills and mindsets, it better sets you up to master another one of them. So they all have this very kind of interwoven and in interconnected relationship. So mindsets are like the operating system for our computer or inner algorithm. Behaviors are, are what we put in place when we're using those mindsets. What else? Yes, so these are the notable nine. I mean, the best piece of advice that I can always recommend, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in the next segment, 
is as people go through these mindsets and skills is to just really be aware of how many of these do you think you're practicing? And how many do you think you're practicing well? And how many do you think your, your leaders inside your organization are practicing? And it's really about creating a culture and being able to have a conversation where these mindsets and skills are being used all the time. You know, bringing these things out into the open, having conversations about that, not being scared to talk about things like empathy or vulnerability or humility um, or, or having a growth mindset. You know, it's not typical business jargon, but it is important, I would say, success or or jargon just for, yeah, growing and developing as a person, as a leader, and for the success of the organization. So don't be scared of these things. You know, I think it's a really important point that the culture and the systems within the organization, for a leader to grow into this and sustain it, the organization must also. And so I want to use the example of humility if I work in an organization where the biggest ego wins and I'm developing humility and vulnerability, I will end up not staying in the same organization or I will end up being punished for humility. So I, I think it's an important point that you made. It is both the leader, the employee, and the culture and systems and processes all have to be aligned. Yep, absolutely. And when they're not aligned, like you said, Things happen where, uh, you know, an employee might leave, uh, you know, the problems start to arise. So the ideal scenario is, yeah, you do want to have that alignment. And if you don't have that alignment, that's when you start to see a lot of people start to look for other jobs. Now it's time to turn to help our listeners understand what they can do to put this into action. And you talk about practicing the 1% a day challenge. Can you share that? Yeah, this is my... Um, my favorite technique for making these things work because I would frequently, you know, when I would present on these topics, I would get a lot of people come up to me and they'd say, you know, Jacob, these things sound great, but I, I don't have time for this. You know, four mindsets, five skills. What are you talking about? I, I got so much stuff to do. And I started to have conversations with these executives. And then that's where this kind of 1% a day thing came from. And the idea is that if you can improve by 1% a day, then by the end of the year, you'll be 37 times better. You know, I'm not asking for big crazy change in your life personally or professionally. I'm talking about what can you do to improve by 1% a day. So what does something like 1% a day look like? Well, let's take a look at some of these mindset. Uh, for example, the mindset of the servant. Maybe 1% a day means that you go up to some of your coworkers or peers and say, you know what, I just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. I really appreciate it. Maybe 1% a day means that you start looking after yourself. Maybe you start doing a daily gratitudes or a journal, or maybe you start exercising, right? Small stuff. Um, maybe you spend 15 or 10 minutes a day and you listen to a podcast or read something that maybe you wouldn't listen to on a regular basis. So again, these are not like big, crazy things. Maybe you have a coworker that runs into your office and they're freaking out about something. And before you respond, you take a deep breath, you try to put yourself in, in their shoes, understand their perspective and where they're coming from, and then you respond. So th these are small, gradual things that you can be doing every day that will radically transform who you are as a leader and who you are as a person. So that's the concept of 1% a day. And there's a great quote by Ben Franklin, which uh, he says, small strokes fell great oaks, meaning that small changes over time 
can yield big results, like chopping down a tree, right? You, you can make small strokes on this huge tree, but over time, you'll be able to chop down this huge, massive tree. Uh, so be consistent and you know, ask yourself that 1% a day. And I've even had executives at organizations, you know, after giving talks to them, they make this a part of their culture. And, and they talk to each other and they say, hey, what, you know, what was your 1% a day today? What did you do? Did you learn something new? Did you put something into practice? And it's uh, it becomes kind of a fun thing. Well, and that gets, again, to the point that we've talked about, that I can't do it in a vacuum without other people in my department. I, it may not be the entire organization, but even if I'm not leading anything, I can encourage colleagues to do this as well. Yes. And so you bring up an interesting point because one of the things that I've asked a lot of CEOs is, what do you do if you are in an environment where you want to practice these skills and mindsets, but your culture doesn't support it? Your leaders don't support it. Those around you don't support it. What do you do? And the number one response back I get from leaders is that's just an excuse, meaning that it's usually about you. You don't need budget. You don't need authority. You don't need anybody's approval. These are things that you can do regardless of what anybody else tells you. Now, of course, if you find yourself in a situation where it's not, um, it's not a good fit, of course, you can, you can switch jobs and switch careers. But nobody is keeping you as an individual inside of your company from practicing these mindsets and skills but you. And that, I think, is a very important realization for people to, to come across. And, you know, I, one CEO that I talked to today was telling me this story about he was practicing these mindsets and skills and, you know, he wanted to speak up in a meeting and literally the, and this was when he was in his mid twenties and uh, the executive of the company basically said, who the hell are you and who gave you permission to speak? And it's a, it's a team of 20 people. He's a relatively new employee and he, you know, this like, it, it crushed him. It, uh, it crushed his morale. And then he told me that, he continued to do all the things that, it, that that we talked about. He worked hard. And over time, he ended up becoming this person's boss. You know, this this mean person who who yelled at him during the meeting, he was now in charge of him as, as his leader. So don't let other people discourage you. Don't let even your organizational culture, don't let anything keep you from doing the things that you need to do to grow personally and professionally. Because... Things can change very quickly. And somebody who is a bad leader, my wife always tells me, everybody, everybody knows everything. Meaning like, if you're a bad leader at a company um, or if you're working for a bad leader, other people know that that leader is bad, not just you. And eventually that person either will, won't be there or he'll get replaced or he'll get promoted over them. There's not that many secrets in organizations anymore. So if you're working, again, for somebody who's treating people poorly guess what? Everybody knows that person is treating people poorly and, and that person's days are, those days are numbered. Um, so don't let anybody tell you that you can't practice these skills and mindsets, uh, you know, do it. Well, we even see CEO tenure change a lot more quickly. So even if you are looking up and the tone of the entire organization isn't aligned with this, that can also change sometimes in a shockingly short time. Yeah. Um, what is the CEO tenure now? Isn't it like five years or four years or something? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very short. 
Yeah, it's and it's. It, I think if we look back at what has happened during COVID, we will see some of the leaders who were effective during a relatively stable time that who are no longer effective, and we'll see a move toward this kind of leader. And specifically for me, you talked about the humanity part along with technology. If we're not balancing the needs of the the precious people who are doing the work, and I'm not saying we don't hold people accountable and all of that stuff, but folks are really challenged right now and leaders need to attend to them as if they really are precious resources, not cogs. You know, it's tough because we we keep hearing about this concept of lead by putting people first. Leading by putting people first, I think, is two things. It is a philosophy, but it's also backed by a set of actions. And if you just have the philosophy and not the actions, that doesn't mean anything. And what a lot of organizations, I think, have realized over the past few years, and a lot of people who work there realize, is that it's very easy to have the philosophy. And a lot of organizations do have that philosophy. But when it comes to actually putting things into play, actions that support that, that's where they struggle. And you see this a lot as a result of COVID. How many organizations out there would say, oh, we put our people first, we take care of them. COVID came about and what's the first thing that all these organizations did? They cut their people. In other words, they had the philosophy, but they didn't have the actions to support it. Meanwhile, not too far away from where I live here in the Bay Area, There is a a waffle shop on the other town, on the other uh, end of town in Alameda. And uh, it has around 40 employees. They have two restaurants. And it's called Oli's Waffle Shop. And they own a restaurant next door called Wine and Waffles. And again, 40 employees who work there. And when you walk into their restaurant, you see that they have pictures of their employees on the walls, basically recognizing and appreciating the fact that their business wouldn't be where it is today if it weren't for the people who work there. And this husband and wife entrepreneurial couple were getting ready to retire right before COVID struck. And they bought a piece of land and they were getting ready to build their dream home. And again, COVID struck. um, They they didn't get enough uh, funding, enough aid. And they, they realized that they had a choice. You know, do they let go of all their employees because they can't pay for them anymore? And instead what they did is they sold this plot of land where they were going to build their dream home. And they put $400,000 of their own money back into the business to cover their wages of their people. That to me is leading by putting people first. It's the philosophy, but it's backed by the set of actions. And when I think about this, I think of how can a waffle shop with a husband and wife entrepreneurial team, how can they somehow keep all of their employees But you keep hearing about these multi-billion dollar organizations where CEOs are getting paid millions and millions of dollars every year. They somehow can't figure out a way to keep their people. And I think it's complete BS, honestly. And so, again, leading by putting people first is the philosophy backed by the set of actions. If you don't support the words with the actions, then don't tell people that you lead by putting them first. Because they do figure it out. Yeah. I mean, you see during times like this, right? I mean, one of the big learnings we're going to get from uh, uh, from this time is which organizations out there really did step up and care for their people. 
You know, the organizations that committed to not laying anybody off, the organizations that said, we're still going to pay you your salaries, even though you can't come into the office, right? The ones that are really there for their people versus the others who said, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, we're going to have to let go of 3,000 people here. So let's shift to the lighthouse concept. We've got about two minutes before we shift to wrap up. Sure. So my favorite way to think about the concept of the leader is with this image of a lighthouse. And I went back and forth, and actually my wife helped me come up with this concept uh, because, you know, visualizing a leader is <laughs> for a book cover is a pretty hard thing to do, right? I mean, if you had to imagine what, what visual represents leader, it's tough. And, uh, you know, at first I thought of like, a sailboat that's leading other sailboats or an airplane that's leading other airplanes and all that, all that stuff was done in the past. Ultimately, this idea of the lighthouse came about because really what a lighthouse does is it's supposed to guide mariners and explorers to their destination, but also to make sure that they get to their destination in a safe way. And that is ultimately what I think the role of a leader is. It's not only to guide the people in the organizations to success, but to make sure that the people can get there in a safe way by taking care of them. So as a leader, what this means for you, for you listening, it means that you as a leader should build yourself up to become this big lighthouse so that you can shine your light onto others and onto this sea of uncertainty that we're all a part of. Learn the skills, learn the mindsets, become this great, big, beautiful lighthouse. But you also need to remember that a lighthouse without ships in the water is useless. Meaning that you could be the best leader, the greatest lighthouse that's out there, but if there are no ships that you're guiding, then the light will never get turned on. So what's the point? So remember that leadership is not just about you, it's about other people. Don't just learn these things yourself, but teach these things to those who are around you as well. And that's why it's the analogy and the visual of a lighthouse. Great. Thank you. So Jacob, if you would quickly give people your contact information again. Sure. So anybody who wants to get in touch with me, I can give you a couple of resources. Uh, my personal email, I love hearing from people uh, with stories or examples. Anything that you want to share is jacob at thefutureorganization.com. And if you want to grab a PDF that talks about these notable nine, and you can see a quote from some of the CEOs I interviewed, you can go to theleadershipdigest.com. And my personal website, if you want to connect with me on social media, is thefutureorganization.com. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Join us again on Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future. Like us and share us with friends. And most of all, come back again. Thank you for being part of the solution and creating a future that's better than our today. <music>